Well, one of my, my fears started New Year's. I uh, have been switching to a electronic device. And while a couple examples were coming to me up top there, the device says, down, must download Bible app to continue and froze it. Now, the reason I went to the device is because this happens probably more often in my own brain. And I, have you ever have a spinner that goes like on your computer and just spins? Well, my brain was doing that, so I thought I'd better turn to another technique. So now I'm stuck. I have neither way to go with this deal. So, so bear with me. Uh, I named the, today's topic, I love the topic today. It is uh, a topic where in Mark they get to the transfiguration and you know the story. And I love what can be taken from that. And I, I do believe that periodically in the Gospels and in the Epistles, there are little, little glitches where God just stops for a moment and he, he gives you something that helps you come back to center and center on, seed on, that which is of only importance. And this is one of those. So I'm gonna ask you today to take a journey with me. We're gonna, we're gonna get into the lives of the disciples, especially the three that were asked to come up the mountain with him. And we're gonna walk through some of the, some of the feelings that they went through, some of the experiences but more importantly, I really want to walk through for you, why did this happen? And how does, it, how does it affect you and me, especially as we look into this next year, as we move forward into 2017? Is it this? Not this. All right. I'm getting the signs. I'm getting good at reading the signs now, too. <laughs> so if you would turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 1. And now he was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought with them uh, up this high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His garment became radiant, exceedingly white, as no launder on earth can ever whiten them. Now, there, this is also written in the book of Matthew. Uh, it is also written in the book of Luke. And the, the similarities, Luke goes in as a physician, Luke goes in and he's gr a lot more detail than what they do here. And the picture that is given here is you're walking up this hill and you're uh, on the top of it and transfigured before you, it says that he was then seen in all of his glory. And the word glory there is the word splendor. And it's really an interesting word. It's, I, I don't think we get the full picture unless you look at the Greek word in the Greek text. It basically says that his face became so shining that the appearance of lightning was shooting from his face. Their garments were so white that said that 
they were in a glorified body. Now, I'm not going to take that any further. You can look at 1 Corinthians 15. You can see that I think they got a glimpse of what this first heaven's body will look like. And in their response, it says, And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, what were they visiting about? And, and by the way, these guys had never seen Elijah and Moses, but they knew it was Elijah and Moses because they're in, in, in the heavenly realm, there is not time, and there is a recognizing of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they recognize them. And it says they became, they answered, Peter answered, and he said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, but let us go make tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now hold right there. I want you to get the picture of what's happening. And this happens in our life too. They saw something, they experienced something, and in the other versions there it says, they were greatly terrified. They were fearful. And, and, I, and I look at the human race and, and the, the job that God has at least given me to come alongside people, and I look at my own life, and it is interesting what happens when we become afraid. We, we do the very opposite thing that you're supposed to do when you're afraid. When you're, when you're afraid, the Bible says to be still. Mankind doesn't understand that. When we get afraid, we run. We do something. We feel, I've got to do something. And he, he panically was going around. He says, I will build a shrine. I will build a shrine for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And it says, the sound of thunder came from heaven. And, and I'd like to paraphrase what I think God said. They're building They're not building. They wanted to. They attempted to. And it's like, are you kidding me? Do you know who you walked up this hill with? This is my son. This is God incarnated. This is my son. I am well pleased. Nothing compares with my son. Nobody compares with my son. I want to take you all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34, the death of Moses, 120 years old, he dies. And it's interesting, it says, and he dies at the mouth of God. God spoke forth and says, Moses, you will come home to me. And he spoke forth, and then an interesting thing takes place, and he goes and he says, and God took Moses, and God buried Moses so that nobody would know where he was buried. Move forward with me all the way to the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, and you've got Michael the archangel and Satan arguing and disputing over what? Over Moses' body and burial. Now, What does this have to do with, I mean, how does this all tie in? What God was saying in Deuteronomy is this. There is no other prophet before me that saw my face and lived. There's nobody that you can basically claim did the things that you saw Moses do through my hand. And to make sure you understand very clearly 
Moses was a man. I am God, and I did the works, and you will build no shrine for anybody but me and me alone. He goes on and says, no shrine shall be built for any man on this planet. And it's amazing what we try to do to elevate people that die. People that die become so popular when they die. Have you noticed that? Artists, I have a piece of artwork, a person dies and all of a sudden jumps into value. All God is saying is this, I am the Lord your God. There is no one besides me. And if you had any idea who was before you, and as, as they were on that mountaintop, and the moment they decided we will build a shrine, already disobeying Deuteronomy 34, we're going to build a shrine for Moses and Elijah, God hushed them in just a second and said, no, you won't. This is my son. And I want us to pick up from here because I think it's very, very important. And in the year 2017, moving forward, I believe if you and I can hold to this truth, that we can go back to every portion of Scripture from the, the Torah, from the first five books of the law, all the way through to the minor prophets, into the book of Psalms, all the way through. There is a common theme all the way through, and basically the common theme is this. Preserve me, O God, for I will take refuge in you and you alone, for in you alone are my joys. Another psalm says, God, alone are you the only one. You are my only rock, nobody besides you. In the book of Colossians, and he says, Christ, who is your life, is the fullness of the expression of God. There is none but him. We, we so tend to, and I, and I say we, I'm, I'm speaking to myself all the time too. I think as, as human beings, we, we get frightened, we get scared, and we start building, building these shrines, these altars. Now, we don't sit and, and build them out of stones the way they did back then, but we build them. We build them in unique ways. Sometimes we build them in when we get frightened and we're scared. Who do you turn to? What kind of shrine do you build that somehow gives you a sense of relief for a little season? Stop for a minute. What shrine have you built? Or do you build? And by the way, sometimes you don't even build it. You just are like them. You just decide we will build it. And God puts an end to it. I have a shrine. When things get going helter-skelter, I have something built in my DNA that I just want to fix everybody and make everybody happy. I remember... <laughs> Uh, a, a guy right now that uh, is a fairly popular speaker across the country, and he says, I'm not a people pleaser. I just want everybody in the sphere of my, inf or my influence to be happy. And I, I understand that. If I find somebody sad, I just want them to be happy. I, I took the lie that our world has told us, and we've taken a president's quote and says, we get the pursuit of happiness. Well, I tell you, the pursuit of happiness is a sure way to be frustrated. And yet, I, I really build that shrine a lot. And when I get scared or fearful or maybe, maybe something happens to your kid or something happens to your job or your finances, we all turn to some type of a shrine to build because we really don't understand that 
Jesus is enough. And until you really, really embrace that and know that, and he's all you got sometimes, we will still keep trying to build these routes. Now, I'm not worried about it because God seems to always do the same thing he did to them. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There was a, there was a man, he was a young man uh, in his early 20s, if not maybe his teens, and he, he never experienced being loved to the point where he, he just was always looking for love, and he looked for it from this direction, and he'd look for it from this direction, and then he'd, he'd be around his friends, and some of his friends would say, I think you can find it here, so he would look there. He was not lack of searching for love. And one day, God lifted a veil from his eyes, and in lifting the veil from his eyes, God declared to him basically one phrase as the testimony of this person telling me, I love you, and I am enough. I've watched that person grow. He's become a dear friend of mine. I've seen him make a lot of messes and things. He has all these idiosyncrasies that I know probably better than anybody. But I've watched him. The one truth that I can tell you that he lands on no matter what happens, if his, if his home's going crazy, if his job's going crazy, if his relationships are going crazy, he comes back and I've watched this man say, I am loved by him and that's enough. So he became a worship leader, and you heard him singing today. I've watched Tom come to understand this truth, that God only loves me, and that's enough. Do you know, I have been blessed, and I am rich with the love of people, but there are times when all of a sudden things get quiet or things get tough or things get painful and I really do understand the psalmist in Psalm 73 when he says I have nobody but you and you alone are my joy there is none but you so my my plea to you as we move forward with this is to look at this and say let's not seed on anything else but Christ alone and there's a tendency, because we're such busy people, and we all try to do something, and this is what happened to the disciples. They wanted to perform. They wanted to minister. They wanted to do something. And the point he was making is, I don't need your ministry. I don't need your temple and your shrines. Do you not know that I declared to you through the minor prophets, and I said this, I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I want your love. I'm not interested in your service. Would you just stop and know me? Be still and know me. Do you know why most people say they believe in the Bible? Christians. Why most Christians say they believe in the Bible? Because they have no idea what it says. I mean, when I start seeing the ridiculousness of some of the things in the Bible, it says, no, Bill, nothing on this planet will satisfy you but me. I was designed to do that. Nancy, your wife, cannot do that for you. 
She was never designed to fill that role. You are only ready for my inhabitation, and I alone am the one that satisfies. And so therefore, it's hard to believe. God says, take nothing besides me. Now, it's funny that when we do do that, he, he lavishes riches on us. Sometimes you wonder if he'd just make up his mind. One place in Psalms, he says, seek nothing but me alone. No gold, no silver, no money, no finances. Seek me alone, for in wisdom there is victory. And then about three verses later, and if you get wisdom, I will give you riches and gold and silver. It's like, okay, but it, it has to come from him. It has to come from him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything might have victory in him. He declares in Revelation, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. Do you remember the story of John on Patmos? And it came down to all of these things being reveal, revealed. And then it comes down to the, chapter 5 and it says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, a scroll written and on the back it was sealed up with seven seals and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to break this seal and no one in heaven or on earth or who had perished in the earth was able to open this book or even to look at it. And I, John, began to weep greatly because no one could be found worthy. And one of the elders said to me, look who's here. Look who's here. Stop weeping. For behold, the lion is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has has overcome so that he is able to open this book. And I saw between the throne four creatures and the elders there was a lamb standing as if slain, having been having seven horns, seven eyes, which are seven spirits. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four creatures and the twenty-four elders all fell down before him and fell down before the lamb and each one of them with golden bowls of incense and prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal, Lord Jesus, for you have, were slain and did purchase for God the, with your blood. Man from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, and you have made to them a kingdom and priests forever. And to receive glory, and that's the same exact word, splendor, and blessing, and every creature, created thing in the heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, heard the saying, and joined in with the new song. To him who sits on the throne, the Lamb, be blessed and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. And all mankind fell down and worshiped him. This is him who they walked up to this transfiguration and they were there and God said, he alone is your joy and he's your satisfaction. I want to share an illustration with you. I, uh, 
I like reading uh, a lot of people, a lot of authors that, that are good storytellers and they can take the scriptures and make them come alive. And there's a couple stories that, uh, that a guy, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Max Licato, but Max Licato is a great writer. And he shares a story uh, that I think was really awesome to me. And he says, when you come to understand this God and this God alone is your life, and when this grace happens to you, it isn't like a nice little compliment of the word grace. God gives you the heart of Christ. And he returns the favor, and he says this, I am going to give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you in Ezekiel. There was a gal named Sarah, or Tara Storch, and they were, her and her husband Todd were skiing up at a ski treat, and her 13-year-old daughter, Tam, or Taylor, was skiing and lost control and hit a tree and died pretty much on the spot. They were grieving, they were aching, but they decided that they would go ahead and let her organs be used. And so at that time, another gal, a little girl, Patricia Winters, her heart, it says, began to fall uh, and to fail her. Five years she'd been in bed, unable to do anything. And they said, why don't you take our daughter's heart? But we have one request. He said, the request is this. Would you let us come after the operation, and would you let us listen to the heart? So they flew from Dallas to Phoenix. They were met by the Patricia's mother. And they went back and they embraced and they were uh, in there as the child was uh, laying in, in bed as a successful thing. And they said, here. And they handed both Todd and Tara a stethoscope. And they said, listen. And they I ask you, whose heart did they hear? Was it not their daughter, daughter Taylor's heart in another birth suit, another body? Did they not hear the heartbeat of their daughter? And God says that I, to you, that will respond to me, I will put my heart in you. When we close today I'm going to try to have you listen to that heartbeat there are times in my life that I I think if we get quiet enough that you will actually hear the heart of Christ inside you Max Licato wrote a lot of books I look in the front of this and I see books probably four pages of books he wrote but I want to tell you what happened to him not that long ago and he says this for many years I have missed this truth in its fullness I believed all the other prepositions Christ for me Christ with me Christ ahead of me Christ beside me Christ under me, 
Christ with me. But I never imagined this truth. Christ in me. For it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Christ's heart in me. I can't blame this on Scripture. Paul used it 216 times. Even John used it 26 times in his book. To describe a Christ who not only woos us to himself, but he wons us to himself with his heart. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the God, God abides in him and he in him. You see, if we go back to that transfiguration and we look at Elijah and we look at Moses, we can take it into today and we can look at Muhammad and we can look at Buddha. And by the way, don't get so uh, against their names. These were human beings that lived on this planet making an effort to try to do something they could not do. There is no other faith, no other religion in all of the world that makes this claim of cutting out a heart and putting it in you and the person of that person lives inside you. It said, no other movement implies the living presence of the founder in his followers. Mohammed does not indwell Muslims. Buddha does not inhabit Buddhists. Influence? Yeah. Instruct? Entice? Yeah. Occupy? Never. Christians embrace this inscrutable promise. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ in you becoming one person. Christ is a person in whom Christ is happening. We are Jesus Christ. We belong to him, but even more, we are increasingly him. Grace is God as a heart surgeon, cracking open your chest and removing your heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain and replacing it with his own. Rather than tell you to change, he creates the change. You need to clean up to accept this? Nope. He accepts you and begins cleaning you up. His dream isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get himself and heaven into you. Grace is everything, Jesus. Grace lives because he does, works because he works, matters because he matters. And he placed a term limit on sin, danced a victory jig in a graveyard. To be saved by grace is to be saved by Christ and Christ alone. Not by an idea, not by a doctrine, not by any church membership, not by a creed, but by Jesus alone. He sweeps into heaven uh, anyone who has as much as give him a nod. So come with me now back to this mountain. Ron here, I don't think they did anything that we don't attempt to do when we somehow get this uh, incredible image of God or sometimes we get to see a glimpse of the glory of God and, and it begins to kind of lighten your soul. Or sometimes when we just feel like we're all in despair, most human beings that I know get busy and think they have to do something. Let me just do something. I'll, I'll, I'll read the Bible more often. I'll have more quiet times. I'll, mo I'll memorize more scripture. I'll make sure I, I don't look at pornography again. I'll make sure that I, I don't yell at my husband again. And we make all of these things that we're to do. And the thing that God said is, shh, be still. This is my son in whom is well pleased. 
I have word for us today. There is no formula to get grace. I asked, I asked a friend of mine, because I like to always leave you with some practical stuff, and I asked a really good friend of mine. I said, I, I'm getting stuck at what can I tell them to do? And he said, did you just listen to yourself after talking to me for 20 minutes? He will do. He will catch them. My word for you is just three things. It's not a formula because I found out I'm, I, I can't give you something to do. When it said, seek me, you will be found by me. God is going to ravish you. He is going to capture your heart. All I ask you to do is recognize him when he does. And accept what he has to offer. You can't make this happen. I am sorry. I'd, want, I'd love to have you have a formula walk out and you get it. It will come onto you. And every one of you in here, God is going to do this to you all. He has drawn all mankind to himself to make himself known to all mankind. I ask you this one thing. Seriously consider this. When he captures your heart, accept it. Accept it. Don't build another altar. Don't try to do it in some type of religion. Don't say, okay, the New Year's, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. He's not in that. This is him and him alone, and he will capture your heart. If you will let him do that and not try to build altars, I believe you will experience what these disciples began to experience and they began to experience in John chapter 16 when they came to understand not all the miracles, they understood one word. And when they said one word, Jesus says, now that they understand this, I can now go back to my Father. What was it they said? We now know this. You are God and you came from God. And you alone are our salvation. That's it. So as the musicians come up, they're going to do a song here. I want to do two things. I want to try to help you understand how to listen to that heartbeat. We're going to take a stethoscope right now, and we're going to turn it inward into your heart. This could be revealing to many of you, because there are many people that have received a religious Jesus, because it was the popular thing to do. Maybe you've received the Jesus just like the people received Muhammad's faith and Buddha's faith. I'm talking about this God in man, Jesus, who is only your salvation. So when you listen, as I tell you how to listen, I want you to look for two things. Quiet down. This doesn't come with the five senses we've been given. There's a supernatural sense that's been given to every believer in 1 Corinthians 2. We have something that we can discern that you can't discern with human senses. And I want you to listen to that heart. And then I want you to learn to get quiet and listen. Put the stethoscope on your heart often. If we do this and you can't hear the heartbeat, I just encourage you 
receive this new heart. This is why he came, to rip out that heart of stone and put in his heart as a transplant into your heart and make this the day, this the day of 2017 that you are now going to receive this heart that's been placed in you so that you can now hear the beating of this heart. If you are more comfortable closing your eyes, close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. It's not written in the Bible. You have to. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look into your heart. Deep in the core of your heart, deep inside, as it cuts through all of that grind of your flesh and that self-centeredness of your flesh, deep in your heart, there is this burning longing to be holy. There's a longing to be a container of love. If you're a wife, something deep inside you, feel this, just feel this, wants to be a godly wife. Something deep inside you says, I long to turn from these sins, continual sins that I make. And Paul, I relate to you when you said the very thing you wanted to do, you could not do. But deep in your heart, you heard the heartbeat. It was that longing to do right. Can you guys feel this? Can you hear the sound of that heartbeat? Inside you is placed the heart of God, and way inside you, it's nothing weird for you to want to be and desire to be what you were made to be, holy, righteous, a container of love that just wants to be that person that can lay down their life. Whether you're doing it or not is not the heartbeat. That's the mixture of the flesh in this world. Is that desire in your heart? If it is and you can hear it right now, that's the heartbeat. Recognize it from this day forward. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you have a rotten heart. You do not. You have been transplanted by the heart of Christ and you have won yourself to him. That heart is built in me. I can tell you I have hurt lots of people. I hurt lots of people probably in the future with my words, but inside my heart, I hate it and I never want to hurt somebody. That's that part of you I'm asking you to listen to. Secondly here, I want you to listen to these, uh, the words and partake in these. Don't just make this music be, oh, that was a pretty song. She's got a pretty voice. I want you to listen to the words and please let that part of your heart that is you and Christ knit together, let that part of your heart join in this music as worship. <laughs> 